Welcome to the DEI discussion podcast series. This is the Humans of Fintech chapter, and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Adam Wheelwright, Chief Technology Officer at IG Group. IG have been at the forefront of trading innovation since 1974. Today, they are a global fintech company, and Adam is here to share how he walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more he wants done. Welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Thanks very much for asking me on. So, tell us about IG and the mission. Yeah, so IG, relatively boutique financial services business, historically provided trading platforms for people to use to basically play around with the markets. But as of sort of two, three years ago, we've decided to revise the strategy and we're going for a, a wider set of capabilities, a wider set of offerings. So moving away from the kind of core trading platforms into investment products, into different markets, but very much focused on kind of customer excellence as the differentiator. And at the heart of all that is a need to sort of embed modern engineering practices in our technology, which is why I've joined and what I'm here to do. Yeah, an exciting time for you and for the team. So tell us a bit more about your role and some of this strategy change with you having recently joined the business. Yeah, chief technology role here is, I guess, a sort of blend of a traditional CTO, but an awful lot of CIO, a little bit of data, and quite a lot of digital digital transformation. So three themes, really, for me. One is client-centricity. So I think it's really important that when we're we're building and operating technology solutions that we have the client front and centre, whether that's an external IG customer or, indeed, an internal colleague. I want everybody to be treated as a client, as a customer, and the technology teams to know who those customers are, know what they kind of want, know what they need, and partner with them to develop it. So that's theme one. Theme two, it is a technical discipline, so we do need to apply best practice approaches to that. So what I refer to as modern software engineering, implied in that is a whole bunch of other practices, ways of working, but also some technologies. So on the infrastructure side, it's the idea of moving to some more self-service capability, Quite often shorthand, it's, it, people refer to it as cloud, but cloud is a couple of things. One is it's, it's a way of sharing technology being provided by the cloud providers. But the other thing that it's brilliant for is it does it enhance that self-service capability. So it does allow software engineers to be able to spin up test environments to better run tests on them without having to rely on an infrastructure team internally. So engineering is kind of a second theme. And then the third theme really is learning at an organisational level, so being able to have more experimentation with kind of how technologies can improve that customer experience, of overall business performance, but it's also at the team level in terms of how individual technology teams organise themselves, and I want them to be able to explore and try different ways of delivering change and delivering how they deliver services, but it's also at the individual level. One of the things I struggle with a bit is technology is changing a lot, there is a lot of hype around it. So how do you actually create a space to think about what's real versus what's hype? How do you start to just have time to think about how different technologies, different solutions, different ways of working could could make a difference to your business? Yeah, and it's brilliant the way that you describe this. I love how you use the word explore and the way that you're describing the environment. It feels safe that people can explore, which is great to hear that learning is such a big part of that. What would you say are the foundations of a great set of people practices? So I think a few things. So I think the first one's clarity. So we should always start with making sure people are really clear on what we are here to do. Yeah. So this, I think, is about anchoring on purpose. What is the purpose of the business beyond making profit and loss and generating returns for investors and shareholders? And for us, it's very much we've centred the strategy for IG around 
basically creating services and capabilities that help people to improve their lives really ultimately so it's very much focused around powering the pursuit of financial freedom for ambitious individuals at whatever level of wealth they've got whatever level of their careers and the kind of where they are in their overall situation we're trying to help people increase their financial well-being which will then feed into other aspects of well-being that help them to improve and so making sure colleagues are all really clear on that purpose is really important but yeah, that, that can be quite abstract for some people. So I think it's really important we bring that back and try to make sure that all yeah, two and a half thousand people in IG, but all nearly 950 technologists understand how their individual roles and work they do contributes to that. And making sure we take time to explain that, I think it's quite important. Second aspect to it, I think is back to the learning point is you know creating an environment where people can learn, where they are given space to not just be told what to do and how to do it. Quite often they need to be given an outcome and then given the space to find different ways to achieve that outcome. Mm. That's a really key part for it to me, to create a healthy culture and environment. So we've got purpose and we've got the ability to learn and try things. And then I think the third thing is we've got to trust people. We need to trust people to deliver on results and we need to not create an oppressive environment where they feel like everything's being watched and supervised, but instead that they do feel empowered and trusted to, to actually deliver on the results. And that's not just letting them get on with it. It means sometimes you've got to coach people and help them through it, particularly if they're taking on a challenge that they've not done before. Uh, but being very situational on that, and, and if somebody's very capable and is really clear of what they need to deliver, then you don't need to check what they're doing every five seconds. You can let them get on with it and give them space to be a bit more creative and innovative in terms of the how of what they're doing. And that definitely comes through because there's so much change that you want to drive and you want to be making alongside that change for the individual, allowing them to grow. And that's definitely coming across in how you're describing all of these components come together. And very much linked to that, I wanted to talk about inclusion and belonging because I know that they're so central to IG. So tell us more. Yeah, I guess it really comes back to the sort of the mission and the kind of the ambition for the firm, which is to move into more mass market kind of segments. And I've got a view of, from a commercial perspective, a DNI is absolutely essential to that because one, as we start to move into those bigger markets, we are going to be serving a more diverse customer base. And I've got a really strong belief that therefore you need to be more reflective of that diversity in your customers, in the teams that you have within your organisation. I think with more chance of delivering better solutions if we have more diverse workforce that's more reflective of the societies we're trying to, we're trying to serve. It's commercial point one. Commercial point two is, particularly for technology, but it applies to wider IG as well, we are in a war for talent still. It's a very competitive environment out there. The best people can pick and choose where they go to. I want to make sure that we're, we're not precluding ourselves from getting access to any of that talent because we're not seen as an inclusive employer. For me, two commercial reasons why I think DNI is absolutely essential, over and above the kind of ethical and moral side mm. of it. And, and then particularly for me, and I'm very open in this, I've got a vested interest in trying to sort out gender diversity because I have two daughters who will be coming mm. into the workplace hopefully soon. And I find the idea of they can't pursue whatever careers they want to because of antiquated attitudes and a lack of diversity inclusion in any workplace, absolutely abhorrent. So mm. I want to do what I can to try to create a more open environment for people. And you're certainly doing that. For us as an industry, how important do you think championing inclusion in the workplace is and how far do you think we've come? 
So I, I think it's back to the same reasons I said for the industries it is for IG. I think mm. if we're going to be building solutions for a more diverse population and customers, then the workforce really needs to adapt to reflect that in all countries and all locations around the world. And particularly mm. if you're going to be, have global aspirations, it, it becomes absolutely critical to have more diversity within your organisation to reflect that diversity in that global client base. Mm. So I, I think that's absolutely fundamental. My frustration with this is that I think we've been admiring the problem for a long time and the different aspects of diversity inclusion to different degrees. But in general, there's a lot of people admiring the problem and slowly admitting that there is a problem. But I feel the need to just speed up and just say, look, this isn't quite right. We aren't reflective of society. We're not levelling the playing field quick enough. There's still mm. inequalities in pay and opportunities, and we need to go quicker. Yeah. We need to stop admiring the problem and actually get on with fixing it and start to push really hard on the things that are going to create that more level playing field and ultimately generate more equality of opportunity mm. for anybody, anywhere. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And I love how you described that. And we're admiring the problem because you're absolutely right. We have been for far too long. And when I introduce this podcast, I always say we're here to walk the talk for change because it's similarly to you when you describe it as admiring the problem, kind of had enough of all the talk, like where is that action? So I always love asking the last question around what you'd like to see from the audience, people who are listening to this today, what can they go and do to really make some more change for genuine workplace inclusion? Yeah, so there's a whole range of things that, that I think we can and should be doing. First one is please stop talking about it and just actually getting on with doing some of the things that are going to make the difference. As examples of things I'm, I'm personally doing and sponsoring in kind of my remit, I'm insisting that we only work with recruiters who can generate a inclusive range of candidates. Just mandating that as a non-negotiable. We're going to be introducing blind CV screening so that we don't see the gender of people or the ethnicity or any of the characteristics. So trying to abstract that away so that we're not getting biases creeping in. Insisting on having balanced panels for doing the kind of recruiting process is really key. In terms of retaining people inside and creating a more level playing field, we're increasingly using data to, to look at things like pay decisions, promotion decisions, performance reviews, shining that DNI light on and checking that, that we aren't to introduce either conscious or unconscious biases into mm -hmm. any of that stuff. Actively trying to encourage role models and build role models and encourage people to stand up as role models, but I, I certainly don't want tokenism. I want people who are strong technologists who happen to also fall into particularly protective characteristics and feel comfortable enough to stand up because they're strong technologists first and foremost. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a role modelling of the fact that you can be a strong technologist and fit into a protected characteristic group. It's not either or, it's an and, but it's very much based around the capability. So I think that's another sort of element of something I'm doing. And then the third thing is just talking a lot more about the need to fix this problem, coming on this podcast, supporting kind of the range of DNI events that the IG runs, but also more widely than that just visible support for it, showing that it matters, talking about it, regularly checking in with people about the progress or, or not, as the case may be, and not being ashamed to show where progress has slowed and just recognise it and lean into it and not mm. be embarrassed about it. Yeah, spot on. And it's brilliant that you've, you've had so much to say within that answer because there's so much that can be done that everyone can get involved in. And with all the questions today, it's been brilliant everything that you've shared with us. And thank you for joining us on the DEI Discussions podcast series. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.